Welcome back to the Max Effort Kitchen Podcast. We got a great segment for you. It's called The Athlete and the Chef. So sit back, relax, and let's go. Max Effort Kitchen. I'm your host, Chef Matt, joined by my good friend, Mr. Cornell George. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. It is so good to be back. It is. It's been a couple of three or four weeks. Yes. And a lot has gone on. Yes, it has. Yeah, no, it's been um, it's been a busy, busy couple weeks, but also for you especially, it's been very, very uh, eventful and uh, fruitful would be the word to say, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good phrase. Yeah. Congratulations, dude. Uh, like, I, I don't know if you. Uh, <laughs> so, it, this was a household thing watching you lift <laughs> at my house. I don't know <laughs> if you picked that up when you were watching the videos I sent you, but like, mm-hmm. my daughter was like screaming at the top of her lungs, "Make the <laughs> lift, Cornell!" Like screaming. <laughs> and at one point, I'm like, Maddie, calm down. <laughs> like, but. It was it was a lot of fun for all of us to like gather around and put on the TV, and uh, man, that was just really cool to watch and uh, super super uh, you know proud to say that like hey I've trained with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, it was it was one of those things where I, I I'll call it the perfect meet. Yeah. I didn't go six for six. I went five for six, but I took a crack at a number that I have basically made before but didn't stand it up because I was avoiding injury by right. not letting my ego get in the way and saying, I want to make this. It was right. one of those things where I had to be a grown up about it. Yeah. And I knew that the, the correct jump would have been like 53, 153 kilos in the snatch. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? Like, let's give the people what they want. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah they'd, they'd like to see 153, but they would love to see 155 even more. I mean, so people who people who don't know, 155 kilos competition load is where it's two reds, the competition collars plus it bumps up to the big yellow plates yeah. from the the green plates. Yep, yep. And I was like, I've already made more than I was. I mean, not more than I was wanting to make, but more than I was kind of prepared to make mentally. I was okay if I made my opener and that was it. Then I made a seven kilo jump. I went from 140 to 147, and then I said, "Screw it, let's let's give the people what they want and throw on those yellows." Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, your first two, I swear to you, your first one was a power snatch. Um, your second one, it looked like you caught it and wrote it down a little bit just for the sake of writing it down. And I'm like, what? He must be just jacked on adrenaline right now because he's powering these stuff. Like, this is awesome. Yeah, it was cool. So it was definitely a, a, a different meet than I was. I felt very prepared, but at the same time, very underprepared. But in ways that I, I was just like, you know what? It's too late. Just move yeah. on. Yeah. To the point where I forgot my earbuds. I don't lift in earbuds except for on competition. On competition day, I lift in earbuds. Awesome. Because that's when I'm able to completely tone out or tune out the world. Yeah. 
I have a, a way that I like to have my counting done for me where they don't talk to me. Right. And right. we set an alarm. We know, I know with the stopwatch how much time I have and I keep track of my own numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they just keep track of my time. Nice. And it didn't work that way. Oh. I had, well, it didn't work that way because I couldn't put my earbuds ah, in and just disappear. Okay. And it was loud. It was crazy in there. The music that was going off was not exactly what I would normally listen to, especially for Snatch. For Snatch, I listened to like slow, calming mm-hmm. music that no one would really expect. Yeah. And it was like a club in there. <laughs> <laughs> so the one good part that I did have, though, and I I am 99% sure this is legal because I asked a lot of people who know a lot with their a lot of the rules. I had some earbuds or earplugs. Yeah. So I popped in the earplugs and it drowned out about 90% of the noise. Nice. Nice. So let me ask you this, like, um, does it mess with your equilibrium at all? Like with your balance or anything when you, when you have those in? So that was something that I learned a long time ago, like a long time ago when I used to surf. Okay. And I used to get ear Uh, infections from being in the water all the time, but I'd only get it on one side. Okay. So if you have it in only on one side, it can mess with you. But if you put them in on both, you're fine. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I mean, um, when it, when it comes to snatching, I like to, for some reason, I'm like a low tempo hip hop, something kind of smooth. But when I'm cleaning, when I'm doing a clean and jerk session, I'm like hardcore metal, heavy, like even down to like, I'll, I'll throw on Metallica if I have to, but like, I don't know what it is about the music. It just gets me going in different ways. So I will loop break stuff from Limp Bizkit. Yeah, for oh, trust me, I know. There's something <laughs> that, about that song. <laughs> you just put that song on, and it's like it's gonna happen. It's all over. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm with you on that. Um, so, like, let's see. I, I gotta ask, and this is probably the super like amateur into me, but what did it feel like to drop under 75? <laughs> so. In my brain, I was originally the whole, like, I want to say it was close to 16-week cycle. Yeah. I told myself, I'm opening at 45, 65. Right. Those are the numbers I got to open. Yeah, I remember that. And then I got sick, and I lost almost four and a half kilos about a month out. Wow. And I was like, all right, let's be a little more realistic here. Maybe maybe don't open at 45 and go hopefully one for one for three. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I can make bigger jumps. I know how to make the big jumps. I can go from 30 to 40, from 40 to 50. Those are, that's the jump I like. Right. So I I decided to drop it down to 40 and then I went to 47 and then from there went to the 55. Nice. And in the back, the time got a little wonky at the end because some of the guys didn't make some of the lifts. And then their coach was buying time and playing this whole game. Yep. Noticed that. (laughs) And then, so I, I think I hit 50 in the back and then it was probably about six or seven minutes and I still hadn't gone yet. Yeah. And I just said, screw it. Let's load 60. Let's not open at 60. Let's just load 60. Okay. And I hit a very high power clean and my best power clean is 161. So I was like, yeah, just go load six. Just tell them 65. We're going to open 65. It'll be fine. Yeah. (laughs) 
Nice. And that power clean gave me the confidence that like, okay, I'm going to do this. Yep. And went out there, caught the clean, stood it right up, yep. oscillated three times, took the third oscillation for the dip, made the jerk. Watching the video, it looks like it shouldn't have even been a, a an opener. I know. <laughs> it should have been something <laughs> quite a bit before. Yeah. And then a lot of people don't know this, but I competed 11 times last year. Mm-hmm. And I believe in eight of the 11 competitions, I had 170 on the bar for at least one of my three clean jerks. Ah. Some of them I had it for two. Okay. Okay. So I, I attempted over a dozen clean jerks at 170 last year and never made the jerk. Interesting. So what you're saying is that this is not the first time you've tried a number and just went out there and willy nilly it. Yeah. You, you no, actually, it was, you actually prepared. I, for had, this. <laughs> I, had, I had a lot of, you know, those numbers that, I mean, I never clean jerked 170 until I clean jerked 171. Yeah. Cause I just decided 170 wasn't, that was like kind of one of those mental ones mm-hmm. that you're like, okay, I made the clean. Oh my gosh, I got to jerk it. So <laughs> I decided I wasn't going to hit that and I hit 71. Right. That makes sense. Um, probably a year ago, over over a year ago, because it was in the garage. So oh, that, shit. Uh, Strength Tank opened a year ago next weekend. That's right. I remember so, them talking about that. Um, well, I mean, okay, here's, here's a question that everybody really wants to know. How badass is that barbell? Like, is the barbell dope or is it like, (laughs) or is it just like, yeah, it's a barbell? I mean, it's hard to, it's not a bad bar. Okay. I'm not going to say that. Yeah. But I get to train on very nice bars. Yes, you do. (laughs) I've got the, the, this golden bar that it's not actually gold, but when I'm not lifting, people come up to me all the time like, hey, can I use your bar? I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah. It's a, a 1990 Illico competition bar. Oh, I've lifted on that thing. That thing's awesome. Um, it's It spins different. It yep. it grips different. Everything about it is different. Yep. And I bought it from the guy who originally bought it. He used it three times for bench press, said he didn't like it, put it back in the <laughs> plastic sleeve and put it on his wall. Wow. And I got it for, I got it for 300 bucks. Oh, my gosh, dude. And the next day after I got it was the first time I snatched 140. So I've had people offer me thousands of dollars for this bar. Yeah, don't ever give up. Maybe not thousands, a thousand dollars. And I was like, no, it's it's mine. (laughs) Um, And then I also have a probably, I'm looking at it right now. The last year before Alico changed their logo, I think it was 2016, uh, competition bar as well. Nice, nice. So those are like my my everyday bars. Right. So when I, when I lift on like the Maverick bar, it's a great bar, but it, it's not a Lico. <laughs> right. Right. No, I get that. It's probably hard to, uh, to live up to the Alico bars. And, and I mean, you know, I, I just, I, I thought that was really cool that, that, uh, you got a, a barbell out of it. That's the second competition I've seen you win a barbell in the past year. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty so, awesome. I ended up taking it down to the strength tank and donating it down there because of all the, the work and stuff they did for me. So no, that's I like, awesome. I honestly don't need another one. And yeah, uh, honestly, they need if I could have won them a woman's bar, they could use a handful more of those. But <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. And that that's super cool that you did that. Um, that, that means somebody, you know, is going to come in there and lift on on just some really cool bars. Um, so what does uh, like 
you're, I, and I've been thinking about this over the past week or so as we've been like poloing back and forth and talking like, I mean, how, do you have a plan for your aftermath of training or is it just like, let's just train and have fun? Right now it's much more like, let's just train and have fun. Yeah. Um, I didn't really, so this meet actually meant quite a, a bit to me. Absolutely. Uh, mentally, emotionally, all that fun stuff. Yep. Uh, I, the plan was kind of to retire from competitive weightlifting after worlds, right. assuming I won. But while I was at worlds, I said, it doesn't matter if I win or not. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. And there was just a lot of drama going on with my old team, a lot of butting heads with the old coach, yeah. uh, disagreements. I wasn't, uh, I didn't believe in the programming. And if you, it doesn't matter, like they say, if, if you don't believe in it, it doesn't matter if it's the best, you're, it's not good for you right. compared to something that if you believe in 100%, even if it's the worst, it's better. Yeah. So I had to basically get through worlds on my own. Um, it sounds bad saying this, but like not being truthful to my coach for what I'm doing yeah. program wise. And I wanted to leave the team earlier, but I knew I was going to see him at world. So I didn't want to leave before that. And I was like, let me, let me put in my time and get it done. Right. <clears throat> then I ended up getting hurt about seven or eight days before I competed. Um, <laughs> I made my opener. My competition made one of his snatches. I was already like three ahead. And then I made my opener in the clean and jerk. And then my biggest competition bombed out. Yeah. So that's honestly how I won. So yes, I did total. Mm. I did what I went to do, mm -hmm. but I totaled probably all my totals last year out of the 11 competitions were somewhere between 295 and 301. And I totaled 299. Okay. So it wasn't even like a, it wasn't a good meet. It wasn't, it was just like I was holding on by a thread to not fall apart. Right. And, and like when you lift it at a, a competition like worlds, you know, it's, it almost, I've, and I've never lifted at a worlds, but like, um, just hearing you explain it makes me kind of think that like, uh, maybe we're lifting at worlds because it's worlds. And then you came out and did this. And so it makes sense. I, I get what you're saying. Totally. You know, there's different mindset. There's uh, different programming. There's, Hey, I'm off this, you know, I, I, I left this team that I was on for so long, you know, can I do it still? Obviously you can. Um, so, but like you had a lot to prove on that platform and that's, and I think you proved it pretty damn well. Yeah. I felt like there, I had more in me. Um, uh, I didn't finish the way I wanted to finish for yeah. me. Yeah. I finished the competition I wanted to finish, but I was like, I know that there's something else in me. Right. And uh, I was able to prove it to myself in this competition. That's great. That's so, a win. That's yeah. a huge win. Yeah. Like, you, you know, we always talk about like, you know, the weights that we're lifting and the totals and where we, you know, where you rank, where the medals you got, but like, there's so much more behind what's going on on that platform. And that, that was great insight. Like there was so much more going on in your mind while you were on that platform rather than just lifting the weight. Um, 
and it says it speaks volumes of people who do get out there on the platform and lift in at a at a meet or any type of competition because i mean i I'm, there's probably lots of people that has has those types of stories and that's what makes this uh, the sport so special in my mind like people look at it and you're like oh you only do two lifts oh there's so much more to it <laughs> there's so <laughs> yeah, much yeah and more. it's like if if you've got a a messed up situation behind you and like mentally you're not there and you're stressing out about how the coach is going to handle things because he, he wants to do it the way he wants to do it, not the way you need it done. Right. It, it really messes with you. Yeah. And I, I straight up told my coaches uh, at this competition, I said, Hey, there's going to be things you're going to see me do that. You're going to go, what the heck are you doing? Why are you doing this? And I said, when you see me do these things, just ignore it. Yeah. Cause this is what I do. And at one point, right after that, we had the announcements, I said, Hey, remember that thing I told you you're not going to like, it's about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, and I they mean, just said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's a, there's a point, I think, man, I don't know. I, I'm not, I am not a coach, so I, I don't know if I can like say this with a complete authority, but like, um, like there's, there's elite athletes there's like mid range, you know, middle of the, of the pack. And then there's beginners and the beginners, you want them to follow what you're doing. But when you're coaching, I think coaching an elite athlete is almost harder because you have to be able to still provide support guidance. Um, but you have to pull away and let them be them. Um, because if you can't do that, then you're just going to screw things up. Like you got to let the athlete be the athlete. And I know that we've talked about the word athlete, but let's just say weightlifter. You got to let the weightlifter be the weightlifter um, in order to be successful with your guidance and support. Yeah. You're, no, not, you're I, not a it, beginner. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to let the, you have to have trust in the athlete. Correct. Um, it reminds me of, I'm not going to get all religious on you here, but there's <laughs> no. a, there's a, a Bible story back there back in the day in the Bible yeah. <laughs> where D David and Goliath, okay. everybody knows David and Goliath. Yes. But one of the, the backstory with that is David offered to go fight Goliath. Right. And uh, the King said, here, put on all my armor, right. wear all my armor, wear the King's like helmet, the King's sword, the King's this, the King's that it will protect you. It'll do all these things. And he's like a little kid. He's like, I can't wear like a hundred pounds of armor. I'm just going <laughs> to go out there with my sling and a rock. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I know what to do. Yeah, and I feel like that's that's what it's like being ten years into the sport. Right. That's, um, it's, that's, it's, that's yeah, a it's, great it's analogy. A very, yeah, it's like a a co co taught or it, it's much more. It's much less what the coach is doing for you. Right. And it's how you how the chemistry is with the coach. Right. Well, if you think about it and I'm, and I'm trying to tap into my coaching brain, you know, if it were, if, if I were out there and I was like, okay, I'm coaching you or I'm doing your numbers, like I'm going to, like I said, like I just said, the support and the support needs to be at the highest level with you, not the technique, not teaching you what to do, not telling you maybe, you know, maybe telling you when to lift and when not to lift. But, you know, you, you just said that, you know, you have your own way of doing it. But to, for, for a coach to be able to go from, uh, 
you know, getting a, an amateur ready to getting an elite person ready. It's yes, it's a hard thing to do, but I think that's where really what separates um, the coaches from just, you know, the good weightlifters that are out there helping people is that like a coach knows where to a- apply the right technique, which for you would be support for, for someone like myself, that's like middle of the road. It would be like a little bit of more guidance, a little bit of support and help with the numbers. And if it's for an amateur, you're telling them everything to do. Like you're, you're going on my key every time because I want you to learn your way. Um, there's also a, something that's been coming up a lot um, in my brain and in different areas of life, which is allowing people to fail in order to learn. Like you have to fail to learn. And I think I, I kind of touched on this on my most recent podcast for Food for Thought is that like you got to go through the failures to be able to learn. And people um, don't quite understand that. They're like, oh, if I'm a failure, I, I can't do this. I'm not good at it. I'm not going to do it. But we have to fail. And in every instance of life, when we fail, we learn a little bit. And then we, we take another step up. It's like, I think of it as like, you know, if you're, if you're climbing a, a pyramid, you know, you take one step, you fail, but you're still taking one more step up, up and you keep on going up that, that pyramid. And uh, there's, I, I'm, I'm pretty good friends with uh, Joe Beck and he has that kind of philosophy that it's like, I'm going to give you some guidance. I'm going to give you some support, but there's a point in which I'm going to let you go and, and let you try to do your thing. And if you're successful, awesome. Let's bottle that up. If you fail, let's talk about what you learned. And I think more coaches need to have that kind of like open mindset of like, let's let people fail because they're going to learn and it's going to actually, you're going to be there to support them and guide them through that failure and, and pat them on the back and say, Hey, you know what? You still won because you got out on that platform and lifted some weight. Yeah. And just because you failed doesn't mean you're not like the goal is to learn from it. Right. If, if you win or you lose, as long as you learn, you still won. Yeah. Yeah. And like, for some reason, when you're explaining that I was picturing like in the movies when they're, they're walking through the jungle and, um, they come through some bushes and all of a sudden they see like a big, like a big valley mm-hmm. where a bridge, a bridge fell down. Yeah. And, Normally they're like, oh crap, and they walk up to it and they're like, I don't know what to do. And then you see somebody step back and they take 10 steps back and then they just run balls to the wall and jump. Yeah. Like they had to go back so that they could go forward. Right, right. Well, you know, um, I don't, I don't talk about this very much. And, and to be honest with you, I probably won't get in the depths of it right now, but like, I'll be, I'll be open and a little vulnerable and, and talk about like, in the most, um, in my, my opinion, probably the, one of the most important areas of life or my life was my marriage. And, uh, we failed hard at about 10 years and we separated for about 18 months. And in that 18 months, I felt like this is the biggest failure of my life. What, 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 where did I go wrong? What did I do? How did this happen? I don't even know what, what the future looks like. And it's like, you just want to quit. But like, I can, I can say today that that failure was the best thing that ever happened to our marriage because 18 months later we found, we found our way. And then 
we slowly found a better way. And then we're to this point where we're not perfect by no means, but what we are is, is we're a little bit smarter. We're a little bit more mature and we understand what it really means to not be together. And that's not something we want, but we had to fail to figure that out. And so that's great. Yeah. And, and, um, Maybe one day we'll get into that, but that's a, <laughs> that's a deep conversation, but it's, I, I, I'm really, uh, I, am really big on, on, f- uh, learning from your failures and I've had a, a handful of those this year and, and it's been great moving on. <laughs> uh, I, I cannot, we cannot get out of this podcast without talking about the press out rule. Uh, okay. Um, I'm pretty, you know, myself, I'm a pretty open dude and I def, I don't like to be very black and white and things, but this is one of those things that I'm super black and white in. And it's interesting cause I'm finding myself get like not worked up, but like feeling really weird to think that the press out rule would be taken out of this sport in competition. I just don't think that that's at all what, what should be done. I realize I am a master's lifter and I'm 40, 43 years old and whatever. But like there's something about standards that keeps a sport where it is in the Olympics that should keep it there. Once you take a standard out, you're saying the quality of this sport is not going to be as good as the standards that we upheld for X amount of years. Now I know rules change. Um, so my thing is that if the press out rule gets taken out, I don't think we belong in the Olympics. I like that. that I like that mindset. That's just I, my mind, yeah. So I'll give a little bit of backstory on the press out rule and why they're trying to take it out cool. is they are trying to get rid of us from the Olympics. Ah, uh, whether whether you want people in or you want weightlifting in the Olympics or not is everyone's got their own personal reasons. Correct. I think worldwide, if it gets out of the Olympics, it's a bad thing. I think for the United States, it will be amazing. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, I think that it will blow up in the United States, but I think that the rest of the world, it's most of the the smaller countries. <laughs> are going to just stop weightlifting and we're not going to see a lot of these like powerhouse small countries. Correct. Um, what they are trying to do is make it more viewer friendly Mm. because if someone's watching the Olympics for the first time or watching weightlifting and they see someone get the bar overhead, Mm -hmm. wait for the down signal, put it down and then get told it was a no lift. They don't get it. And then there's going to be a two minute clock and someone else is going to go and the same thing might happen. And they're like, no, they, they got the bar overhead. What, what, why is this wrong? Right. And they want to get rid of that. They want to make it so that you get the bar overhead. You're good. Um, it's also going to eliminate, I heard, I don't remember if it was a post or, uh, podcast or a Facebook something, but I think that currently, there are 11 judges involved with weightlifting. It's wow. not just the three in front of you. Wow. So there judges are just, it's not necessarily the people that are judges, but like the people who weigh you in, the people who mm-hmm. 
make sure your belt is correct. The people who make sure that your like your gear is good, your tape, because there's there's a rule on tape on yeah. your thumbs. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, there's a rule on how big your belt can be. There's the three judges. Then there's the three jury members. Then there's so it's going to borderline eliminate three quarters of those. I think there's going to be the weigh-in judge. There'll be the equipment equipment judge slash person. There'll be the announcer who I think that person then would just take over the, the down signal. Right. And that's all that they would really need. They don't need judges. They don't need a jury. Interesting. So I think you're right about the financial aspect of it. I think that it's a smart business move for the United States. Uh, it, it is going to allow more people to be in the sport. And I like that. It's going to, um, popularize the sport a little bit more. Here's my big question. And maybe you can provide some insight of what your opinion would be on this, because here's what I don't understand is that if it gets taken, taken out, like, are there, um, are there, is there a window of a press out or is it just like any kind of press out? You can catch that damn thing. Like, by your head and then stand it up and push out. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like I, we've seen all realms of press outs. And so is it, do you think if it does get taken out, it's going to be like, there's going to be a, a window of opportunity to press out, whether it's the small shoulder twinge or the little elbow lock versus the catch it with your elbows completely bent and then pushing it out. I think that it, and I, I don't like this. <laughs> I'm not a fan of them taking it out. Okay. Uh, for many reasons. Right. But if they're going to take it out a little bit, they have to take it out completely. I know. I, I, if, yeah. if they're, if yeah. they're going to take it out, it means that they shouldn't have to have judges to make their decision based on like their, I don't know what's the right word. It's not biased decision, but their judgment call on whether that was a press out. And if, if we take, some of the press out out, then it's still like, ah, I think they pressed it a little too much, but the center two or center judge didn't think they pressed it too much. <laughs> so I feel like it's gotta be all or nothing. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Um, That's crazy. You know, I've, I, I've never experienced uh bombing out because of press out rules. Uh, but I can only imagine that somebody that, has bombed out uh, because of a maybe a close call press out or didn't get the the record that they wanted because of a close call press out. I'm gonna manage that would probably be pretty frustrating for them if somebody just goes out and, and breaks a bunch of records by pressing out. But I mean, at the end of the day, and I hate I hate that saying, but at the end of the day, um, it's really not up to anybody but the people making the decision, and I'm sure that they'll they'll figure out. Uh, a way to do it may not be the best way, but I guess they'll figure it out. Yeah. And I think that some of the stuff that in, these are some of the reasons why I, I don't think it should come out. They're talking about taking it out after the Olympics. Well, what if somebody clean and jerks two forty five, someone else goes and hits two forty six for the wind presses it out. And then two days later, the rules taken out. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that's not right. No. Uh, qualify, qualifying for meets, like, if I think the Olympics are they're normally like July or August. Yeah. Does that, 
does that mean we're going to have a whole lot more? I mean, think about AO1 versus AO2. Yeah. AO one's going to be just loaded with red lights from press outs. I mean, from I, know, I know what you that, mean. whatever percentage yeah, that, yeah. that would be, and yeah. then AO two would be like only only missed. So then they would be like, "Oh, our weightlifters are getting so much better. It's a seventy percent make rate instead of a sixty three percent make rate." The percentage of makes has skyrocketed. Yeah, dude. That's I mean, but then like, yeah, you look at the people who have bombed out or haven't totaled for things. Like if you go to AO one and you don't make the the total for finals because of a press out, but then AO two, you you like it, the rule's gone. Shouldn't you get the rule, or shouldn't you get to qualify with the the first meet? Right, right. <laughs> like that, I mean, that, that's a good question, and and uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny because as we're like talking about this, I'm I'm, I'm thinking about it, and I see. <laughs> in the, in the background over here behind my computer, uh, an AARP magazine. And, <laughs> and I'm like, we are officially the old guys talking about the rule changes and how it's going to make the, the game way easier. And I would imagine back in the day when they changed the contact rule, there were probably people talking about this and they figured out a way, I guess, you know, like I, I just think I, I don't like the idea, but obviously we don't have the control and we'll figure it out. But man, just kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of like feels different. It's going to feel different. Yeah. No, it, it definitely will feel <laughs> different. Yeah. Um, but it's, and I'm at the point where I'm like, whatever. Yeah, like, totally. I, I'm going to, I'm going to do my lifts good. Um, I'm not going to try to press anything out. It's harder to, to make a lift to press it out. You can just save something that isn't yeah. as good with a press. Yeah. Yeah. So like if your lifts are good, it's going to be easier for you to make a lift if you don't press it out. That's a really good point. I mean, and, and <laughs> who was saying this was, I don't know if I heard this on a podcast or if it was on our, our uh, polo group. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, no, I remember uh, somebody was talking about, uh, doing a point system and like, uh, like figure skating. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, you know how corrupt figure skating is <laughs> like, <laughs> it would make it way more corrupt, but you know, I mean, like I said, somebody will figure it out and, and it'll be fine. Um, I, I want to go back to what you said about if we get taken out of the Olympics, um, maybe this is a precursor to, people knowing that we're going to be taken out of the Olympics. And so they want to make it more accessible in order to keep the sport going. Um, I do think in America, it will make the sport so much better if we were out of the Olympics. I mean, it's going to give it the, almost the popularization of, of, uh, I don't even know the same that word, right. But of what CrossFit was. Functional fitness. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You remember, I don't know if you remember, but the hype behind all that and the games and, and the, the shirts off and the, the, you know, the music pumping and like, you know, how that was, that was a movement and love like, this is awesome, you know, like, and so I think that we're going to see some of that coming to weightlifting. And I think that's going to be a positive thing because it's going to bring, uh, 
you know, more pop popularity to it. It's going to bring more people in the sport. Um, it's going to bring more money in the sport. Although I don't know if we have uh, a, <laughs> a system that knows how to deal with the money, but, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I just, I think it'll do good things for us, but you're right. We're going to lose the, the, <laughs> the Lashes. <laughs> yeah. The Lashes, the lose, yeah. the, uh, like those those types of countries that they want to show their dominance in the sport. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll move on from that. I just uh, <laughs> could not go away without talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got a question for you because I see this in programming quite a bit. And um, what's what's the different? What are, okay when you're training block jerks versus rack jerks? Is there a different stimulus that you're you're training between the two? Man, this is like, do you want yellow mustard or grape pecan? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I, and I see. So the reason why I ask is because I never really understand. Like, if it's if it says rack jerks up there, can I put them on the blocks and go? Like, I'm sure you it wouldn't. Can, you can put them deal. on the blocks. Yeah, it's going to be easier. Okay, it's going to be safer. Okay, but not everyone has blocks. Ah, everybody has rack. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So if if they put block jerks, then people will be like, well, I don't have blocks. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, those are the beginners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> those yep. are the ones who need to have their hands held. Exactly. Yeah, um, no, I get a rack it. a rack jerk. All right, let's go full full tiny circle here. A rack <laughs> jerk is like not having a press out rule. Okay. It's way more badass. It's you have to stand it up, you have to walk it out, you have to hit the jerk. And then if you're real cool, you re-rack it and you put it back. Okay. A block jerk, for people who don't know, there are these blocks, kind of like plyo boxes that you would jump on, but they're they're very strong. And you set the bar on there and you make the jerk. And then when you're done, you drop it and then you can just pick it right back up. You yeah. don't have to re-rack it. You don't have to do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's a whole lot easier to hit doubles and triples. Um, but you're not necessarily it's not as hard to do if yeah. that makes sense that does make so. sense it's in and, and it's kind of what i thought it's more of a functional thing um but uh i wasn't i was never sure like because i kind of there were times where i was like man is this is there a stimulus here that this is getting and it does sound like there is it's you know you're getting the stimulus of like picking it off the the rack walking it out and you're having to hold that and the re-rack and all that stuff. So, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, if, if you want to have a little more stimulus from the blocks, set the blocks up lower. So lower. you have to do like a, a quarter squat, like a, a pretty decent – you have to still stand it up. Yeah. And it's not just you stand up six inches, dip four, and make the jerk. Yeah, we did like – uh, Make it so you step – you pick it up like a foot. We did that today where we made the, the blocks a little bit shorter. Um, and it was like I really had to like – get in a little bit of a squat to get it up and then go. Um, I really enjoy them. They're fun. They're good. There's something I don't do very often. So the fact that, um, they were in there, I really liked, um, and also they're safer. So yeah, they are because you can just drop it. Yeah. That makes sense. It's a safety thing. Well, uh, (laughs) I don't, I, you know, I think I'm out of stuff to talk about. I know I was going to talk about hand stuff. So, there's been something that's happening recently, um, and it usually happens at, on Wednesday lifting. 
and because what I, I don't know if I've told you this, but like usually Wednesday was family day. And so I would have that as my midweek off day. Um, but I've moved my training to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, taking the off day on Thursday and doing my Friday training. I found that there's a reason why that Thursday's off is because the Friday training is definitely harder. And when it's, yep. when I have a, a, a Wednesday session that I'm doing on Thursday, Friday doesn't ever turn out very good. <laughs> I come in on Saturday feeling like I just got hit by a Mack truck, but, um, which is not a bad thing, but you know, at the same point, like I've, I've changed my thing, but on Wednesdays, I'm noticing that my hands are like, they're on fire. They're burning. The calluses are raging. And <laughs> I'm, I'm asking you uh, from a friend. A friend was asking me to ask you, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> so everybody has different stuff. Um, I personally get, and I've been doing this for like seven or eight years, on Amazon, it's called the the Pummy Bar, P U M I B A R. Nice. They're bright colors. It's a synthetic pumice stone. It's the brand is Mister Pumice. Uh, three of them is like five dollars. That'll last me over a year. Nice. And I keep one in the shower, and I keep one in the jacuzzi. And oh. after about a week of using it, fairly good amount, like getting rid of. You don't want to get them totally smooth, but you want to make it so that like they're smooth, but your hands are still tough. Yeah. Um, it's literally, I jump in the jacuzzi. It's like one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that's me. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> I've been using a tool that I got for Christmas. Uh, apparently my mother-in-law thought I had bunions. And so I, she gave me this like tool and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. And then the other day I pulled it out. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to take this on my hands and it's got like a, a razor blade, a really, really fine grit scraper, and then a really, you know, coarse grip scraper. And it works really well. Um, I just started using it last week and I'll tell you my, my hands felt a little bit better, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. And then when I go over to Damon's and use his rogue bar, it, <laughs> It's, it's that just tears up my hands even more. Uh, but I don't know. You know, I just like to talk about these things just in case anybody else out there is having these issues because <laughs> I know that like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm really pushing towards, uh, the end of this last, what, seven weeks of this, uh, 16 week, uh, cycle and I'm hoping to compete and it's just, it's getting real. It's getting real. I got a question, which, which calluses or which parts of your hand are messed up? Uh, it's, it's, it, there's the ridge right under your fingers. So okay. there's which fingers, uh, well, so the, the entire ridge will burn, but it's okay. underneath my ring fingers primarily. That's where the callus, okay. the, the big calluses are. And then and how's your pinky? Yeah. The whole lining of my pinky, like okay. each Do you little know what pad. You're doing? Yes. You know why this is happening? No, tell me. You're not trusting your hook grip enough. Oh. You are trying to muscle. I know people can't see this, but if yeah. you're using your hook grip, these these two fingers are almost not needed. Oh, so shit. So we come down, but if you grab the bar and you muscle it, you're going to grip those fingers extra tight, and then that's the part that will generally shift, and you're going to rip their effect first. Oh, <laughs> 
You just blew my mind there. <laughs> what the hell? All right. Well, it looks like I have some work to do on that one. I never even thought it's, about that. Holy crap. So part of what it is. So I, I learned this from listening to Jared Enderton talk. Oh, okay. And he did like a whole thing about like, this was probably eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how I've been able to like tell what's going on with people and then with my hands. Okay. And if right now your snatch weight um, is not, you're stronger than your snatch weight. You Correct. can still manhandle it. Yeah. It's 112. Yeah. So you can still, your hands are stronger than 112. Right. You get into 125, 135, one, like up there. Mm-hmm. Your hand isn't going to, no matter how much you monkey grip that bar, it's not going to stay there. You're going to have to transition into like full, like your hook will be everything to you. Yeah. And that's just going to be one of those things that as you, the longer you do it, uh, the, the more you'll start to learn those things. And then the clean and jerk, you are closer. So even though it's heavier, it's going to be a flatter instead of out wider. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, that makes that, that makes a lot of sense because I do notice um, a lot of changing in the entire position of every movement based off of where my hands are landing at the very end and like and where they're starting. The start position of my hands is like if I even think about it, uh, it it's it's uh, it's just something I, I don't want to think about because then I start really overanalyzing that. So but I'm going to my thumbs are double jointed, right? And so sometimes with that hook grip, they'll pop (laughs) and, (laughs) and I don't have control over that, but all that tells me is that I just need to work to getting that thumb deeper in there. So, you know, the other thing you can do is tape the front half of your, your pointer and your middle finger. Okay. And then that tape will be touching the tape on your thumb. Ah. And then when you chalk that up, it, it holds even better. Solid. I'm going, I'm doing that tomorrow. That's awesome. And then for people, because we talked about this a little bit about the judges, mm-hmm. the rule for tape is you cannot cut. You have to show, be able to show the tip of your thumb in competition. Yeah. Because I've, what they don't want to do is have like six inches of tape hanging off the edge. And then all of a sudden you can get a third finger in for hook grip or you <laughs> yeah. Because it gives you an advantage, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Yeah. So, um, Awesome. Thank you for that. Because I think that's really good advice that a lot of people could uh, take in, but I definitely uh, will be doing that all week. Um, Hey, I did find out, I wanted to say this on on air because anybody who hears this um, should definitely sign up for this meet. Uh, Joe Beck is having his heroic Halloween liftoff. It's October 28th. It's here in Portland. I believe he's going to be doing it at Rose City. I haven't actually seen the detail on that, but I'm pretty sure it's at Rose City. Uh, if you've never done a Joe Beck meet, do a Joe Beck meet. Like, that dude is so solid, and he has some of the coolest meets, and he runs them really well, and it's just, it's a, it's like putting the co- all the great people in one, like, room and all lifting together at the same time. Everybody that, dude, I told you, I walked away with, like, three dudes phone numbers last time like like it was just like such a good time and uh, you know yeah anyways I just wanted to blast that out there because I think uh, it's it's a fun meet and Joe's a good guy yeah that'd be great maybe I'll talk to Kayla and see if I can sneak away for a day or two there you go there you go 
All right, buddy. Well, um, not much food talk today, but that's okay. I, there was a lot of weightlifting talk. We hadn't been on for a while, and I think uh, uh, it's good to be back on the mic with you. Yeah. I got a real quick food thing. Yeah, what's that? This is short and fast. Okay. I just made – I used to do this growing up because I was homeschooled and my mom's from Hungary, and it's like just because you can buy something doesn't mean you shouldn't make it. And, right. Um, today I just made some hot chocolate. Okay. Based, not from scratch, but where you just get the un, unsweetened cocoa and then you add that plus your sugar plus your milk and cook it on the stove and melt it all together. Mm-hmm. If you guys haven't tried that, it is so much better than anything you can buy. Yeah, I agree. Um, what we used to do is we would make like a half gallon and then we would uh, put it back in the carton and then put it back in the fridge. And mm-hmm. then when you want some, then you pour it over ice and it's like extra cold. It's almost wow. like ice cream cold. Yeah. And you can, you can, the, the recipe I remember is one part uh, cocoa to three parts sugar. Nice. Nice. And you can mess with that all you want. Like if you want it to be extra sugary, cause maybe you're going to go lift. It's part of your pre-workout where you're getting some extra carbs in. There you go. There it is. If you want to use a uh, whole milk and then maybe some half and half or cream, you can do that to get some extra fat in there for recovery. Um, you can really modify it exactly how you want it. Exactly. And just like what you just said, you can put it in the freezer and make ice cream out of it. Yeah. Because why not? Um, yeah. I, I've made the uh, I've made cocoa uh, powder from scratch before, and it's actually whoa, whoa, whoa. that's a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's actually really easy. It's like cocoa. <laughs> it's like cocoa, dry milk, and sugar. And I use I use uh, confection sugar, so powdered sugar, cocoa, dry milk. That's the basic ingredient, and then you can like totally make. I, the only reason, listen, the only reason why I did it is because I was making a bunch of Christmas gifts for people, and I was like, I'll make a huge batch of cocoa, fill <laughs> it, put a bunch of chocolate in the bags. It'd be great, and it turned out really good. I put some like cardamom in it. I put a little bit of like I put a little bit of uh, a dark roast coffee in it. It was really cool. Um, but it's really easy to make. And if you guys want a recipe, look at my Instagram because uh, it is on the Instagram. I did put that up when I yeah. did it. So Nice. Anyways. Yeah, so good there's, move. there's a little bit of food talk. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Got it in. Um, all right, dude. Well, uh, always great uh, way to end the weekend with you. And yeah, I, you know, we talk, we talk every day, so I'm not worried about that. But for everybody out there, thanks for listening. Uh, this has been such a fun show. I'm so glad it's back. Uh, we took a, a well-needed break, but hey, we're back. We're doing it again. There we go. So, all right, buddy. Have a good night. Talk to everybody later. Adios. Bye.